We're going to work at seeing through new eyes, developing spiritual vision. We don't want to go on seeing the world as we always have. We want to learn to see through eyes of faith, opened by God's spirit, able to perceive what we would otherwise miss. In particular, we want to learn to see ourselves differently and the people around us differently, so we are able to approach life's challenges in faith rather than in fear. Would you like to be able to do that? Yeah. What are the challenges to moving forward in faith that are making you afraid right now? Is God calling anyone here to take a step in faith that feels impossible to take? Because there's some kind of barrier there in the way, some resistance, some foe that is too strong for you, preventing you from moving forward. When you look at it, you just feel afraid, and so you're stuck. Anyone? Nobody? All right, one of you. What if you learned to look at that threat, that challenge in a new way? Not through fearful eyes, but through eyes of faith. Please try this, every one of you. What is the thing that stands between you and the promise that God has given to you? This morning, I'm going to show you how to look at that differently uh, through new eyes, and David, the shepherd boy who became king, is going to help me do this. There are eight episodes in his life that we are going to consider, one each week, here, and they're going to teach us how to see through new eyes. The setting for today's story is a battle in a valley. Have you ever experienced a battle in a valley? Yeah, you have. And if you haven't, you will. On one side, the people of God, their army, the Israelites, led by the failing king Saul, and on the other side, the Philistines, old enemy of the Israelites coming to threaten them. These two opposing forces face off, and it's the setting for the scene we'll consider today where we're going to learn from David. Here's the setting. It's in Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, verse 3, pictures it as concisely as possible. The Philistines, the Philistines, they would not have liked the way I mispronounced their name just there. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. This is a stereotypical picture of an ancient battle in this environment in ancient Israel. In that hilly terrain, opposing armies would face off on opposite hilltops. But instead of sending all of their troops down into the battle... Each one would select their strongest, mightiest man and send him down for a hand-to-hand combat to settle it. Look at verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Do some of you know where this story is going already? Do you know who wins already? Can you try to pretend you don't know? 
and, and I'm going to ask you to do it for this reason. Suspend your inclination to already know because God wants to teach you something new. Goliath is over eight feet tall. He's wearing armor, metal armor that weighs more than 125 pounds. His spear is bigger than a weaver's beam. And that sounded really impressive back then. It sounds kind of lame now, but it was big. <laughs> he walks down into the valley and he looks at the, the armies of the Israelites on the other side and he calls out to them, send your fighter. He's got to face me. If you win, we'll be your slaves. If we win, you will be our slaves. The narrator refers to Goliath with the word there. Do you see what he's called? A champion. In Hebrew, the word there literally means the man between. Goliath is the man standing between the people of God and the promises of God. What are the promises of God? Anyone who knows the history of God's people knows that God had promised to bless this people uniquely, the people of Israel, to protect them and care for them and nurture them so that they would be a blessing to the world, to all of the nations. God selected this one group, this one nation, who's up there now on that hilltop looking at this threat and terrified. God chose them to bless the whole world. But now, between them and the land that they need to follow through with this promise of God, there is a man between them. And as far as they can see, he's way too strong for them. And they're looking at him in this moment with a particular set of eyes before we see how he looks to them. I want you to think of your own situation and your own man between. How are you looking at him? Verse 11 tells us what this giant looks like to the people of Israel. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were out of their minds terrified. They looked at this guy and all of them were, were scared out of their minds. Saul, who is the king, and he's supposed to be the leader of these people, when he's first introduced in the story in 1 Samuel 9, we're told that he stands head and shoulders above everyone else in all of Israel. It means he is their Goliath. He's the biggest guy they've got, and he's terrified. Can you imagine being in that group at that moment? The reason it's so scary, listen now, is when they measure the physical prowess of that guy down there in the valley against their strongest guy there's no possibility that they're going to win. And so they're scared. Look at yourself for a moment. Uh, what is the man between you and God's promises for you? If you are a person of faith here this morning, a disciple of Jesus, ask yourself this, and only you can answer this right now. What is the next step that Jesus is calling me to take do you have a sense for what that is? And then, what's stopping me right now from taking that step of faith in Jesus in this moment? Every one of us who is a disciple is someone who's entered into a dynamic relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not just to decide I believe these things and that settles it. No, it's to 
have a relationship with the living Lord. And let me tell you, everyone who makes that decision will find themselves moving forward in ways that are difficult. And the question for you is, what is it that's between me and the promise that Jesus is beckoning me toward? If you don't have faith, if you're here this morning and you don't have faith, let me tell you that right now Jesus is beckoning you to step from the line of disbelief over into the line of belief. Did you hear me? Uh, you are summoned by Jesus to believe and trust in him. The promise he sets before you is eternal life. As long as you resist and don't believe and doubt and, and, and won't come over that line, you are going to always be in a valley. Ask the question right now, what is the man that's standing between you and faith and deciding, I'm gonna believe? Would you ask that right now in your heart if that's you? You should believe. It, it, just believe. Trust Jesus right now in your heart. Say this, say, God, I, I'm wrestling, but I'm gonna surrender. I don't wanna let that giant scare me anymore. Move forward. In this moment, all of Israel is looking at that giant in the wrong way because they're convinced that they can't go forward. There's one person who enters the story now who looks at him differently. It's David. Let's come back to his story for a moment. There on the hilltop with all of the soldiers and Saul, uh, David's not there. Three of his brothers are. Do you remember those brothers? We talked about them last week. Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah. They're there with the commander of the armies. But David's not because he's back in the field taking care of the sheep. He's just a shepherd boy. Uh, his father has given him a job to do to go out to the troops there fighting on the front lines with supplies. Bring them bread, bring them cheese. Manchego, Pecorino Romano. <laughs> Those are sheep cheeses. And so David goes and he goes back and he goes out and he comes back. For 40 days he does this. It's ancient grub hub. He's bringing the food and dropping it off. But then on the 40th day he arrives and he drops the food off at the commander and he's looking at what everybody's doing. And he sees a bunch of frightened guys. And so he goes and he finds his brothers who are there. And, and he's there standing beside them when again the giant Goliath comes out into the valley and he begins again telling them, come and fight me, send somebody. Now, David looks at the way the people there are responding. The big guy, Saul, and everybody else. And he sees they're afraid. And, and not only are they afraid, they actually retreat. They run when, when Goliath makes his taunt. They, they run back, and as they're retreating and moving away, David's caught up in this crowd. He hears some of the soldiers talking about the promise that King Saul made for anyone who's willing to go out and fight this guy and win. Riches, prestige, and the king's daughter. She was good-looking. <laughs> and so, there in this crowd of terrified soldiers, David asks a question. This is in verse 26 of chapter 17. Look at what he asks. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? In narrative convention in the New Testament, the first words that any character speaks, they bear the weight of telling the reader the most important thing that they need to know about who this person is. This shows the character of this guy. What's his first words? Uh, what's the reward? 
David wants to know what's in it for him. Why? Because he's a person. Because just like everybody who's ever existed, he has ambitions. He wants to succeed. He doesn't want to go through life failing. He wants to do something that matters, that's significant. Don't you want that also? And he asks, what's, what's the reward for this battle? There's something also that comes in this first question about his character. Do you see what else is true of him in this moment? He is convinced that that guy is absolutely beatable because otherwise he wouldn't ask what the reward is. What's gonna happen for the person who wins means I'm pretty sure I can take that guy. And that shows us that David believes that there is no one who can stand up against the power of God. We see that very clearly in the second half of that uh, verse there in his second question, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's David's way of saying God is awesome. That guy, maybe he's the strongest person who's ever existed, but he has nothing compared to God. Here is a character who wants to know what's in it for him and believes that no one's stronger than God. That's who David is. He is someone who says to all of these fearful soldiers, you guys are looking at him and you're measuring your strength against his and you're afraid because he's so strong. But even if he's the strongest man ever, He's still just a Philistine. He's not one of God's men. And that means when he defies us, he's actually defying the armies of the living God. And we all know without any doubt who's going to win that fight. And, and the whole crowd was about as stunned as you are right now. Quiet. David is, I'm saying to you, there's nothing that God can't overcome. Are you Breathing? There are so many things that threaten the people of God from moving forward. Are you aware of some of them? What stands between you? What stands between us and God's call for us? Maybe for you right now, it's some intractable family issue, and you can't master it. It's way beyond you. And, and to be a faithful disciple, you know you should be doing this thing, but that thing there is between you and that promise that God has called you to. Maybe it's an addiction just a need that you've given into so many times and it's dragged you into the, the abyss and the darkness and you say, I can't master it. Maybe it's a, a, some other kind of habit that you have or a way of thinking or outlook. Maybe it's illness. Who knows what it is? Grief, you know what it is. Maybe you say right now, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it is. Our culture right now is pretty unfriendly to us Christians and that's really challenging. Do you think that? Yeah, but listen, it's not really the worst that the whole world can do is nothing compared to God's strength. I can't tell if you believe that. You should. Yeah, the world's aligned against us. Who cares? God is for us. I, what about the negative influences on all of our young people that make obedience so hard? Well, the one who promises to be with and within our young people is stronger than anything that the world can marshal against them. We shouldn't be afraid. Thank you. <laughs> How about all the distractions that make it so hard to feel God's presence? Have you ever wondered about that? All of the ways our attention is dragged here and there. Listen, all of those things have on-off buttons. Unplug your TV. Just turn your phone off. Go out and walk in the woods, in the dark. Look up at the stars, and you will see God is good, and God is almighty, the one who made those stars. 
the one who called all that exists into being, the one who made you with all of your complexity that you can't figure out, that one knows you, loves you, is in every valley and is stronger than anyone who can stand in between you and his promises for you. That's true. Nobody, nobody on that hillside with the Israelites saw it. Not one of them. David saw it. And that's why he said, hey, what's the reward? I'm gonna go get it. Okay, you can read the whole story on your own. I'm gonna tell you this. As David says that, his brother Eliab hears it. And he says, what is wrong with you? Why are you here? Go back with the sheep. And then David says, what? I just asked a question. That's almost exactly what it says in the narrative. It's so human and so real. And so the brothers go off, they're annoyed. David's asking other guys, wait, uh, he's, he's dumbfounded. Why, why are you so afraid? What, what's the reward? I'm gonna get this. Someone says, somebody better go tell the king. And so word gets to Saul that there's some kid here who's saying that he thinks he can go up against Goliath. And so, so Saul says, all right, well, bring him to me. And here's what happens. This is uh, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Nobody should even be discouraged at all on the inside, David says. I'll go take him. Now, can you try to picture this from what it must have looked like to Saul? Remember, Saul's the biggest guy in Israel, and David is a shepherd boy. And he's telling him, I'll go fight him. Saul said to David, this is verse 33, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. This, is, this right here is seeing like mortals see. Uh, if you were uh, able to catch the first message last week, you remember that God tells the priest Samuel that God does not see like mortals see. They judge on the outside. God sees the heart, the interior Saul, in this moment, just looks at the exterior of this kid and says, no way. Look at him. Look at the one you're going to go up against. There's absolutely no way you can do this. David is completely unfazed by the resistance that Saul uh, shares in this moment. Maybe I am just a shepherd boy, he says. But out in the fields, I faced some pretty fierce enemies. When I'm looking out for my sheep at night and, and, and the bears and the wolves come against them, I stand and I deliver. I'm not afraid. I've made it before. I'm tougher than you think. I can go and defeat this guy. There's no one who has any chance of beating us. Uh, look, look at what, what he says here. This is how David puts it. This is verse 36. He says, your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them since he has defied the, the armies of the living God. Uh, I've won in the valleys before, he says, only this time it's not just me against a lion or a bear, it's the man between us and, your, and God's promises and the living God. Who's got the upper hand in that fight? Saul doesn't say anything at all. He doesn't even respond. Uh, and so David continues, verse 37. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. The lions and the bears, they had claws in their hands. This guy may have big hands, but there's no claws in those fingers. And I know, this is what David says, I know what God did back then and he'll do it again. 
And he says this because he's confident that that guy is standing not between my ambitions and whatever I wished and always dreamed I would have, but he's standing between God's people and God's promises. And so he doesn't stand a chance. He did it before and he'll do it again. Do you have any memory right now, any recollection of God delivering you in the past? Call, Call that to mind. If you don't, you should give your life to Jesus right now. You should say, Jesus, I'm yours. I give my whole self to you. I believe in you. I trust in you. I don't know what that means, but I know it's the right thing. Here I am. I'm yours. And then you should expect to experience some kind of deliverance. For those of us who have a memory of that kind of deliverance, call it to mind and and look back and remember that he who did it then is faithful. He'll do it again. And maybe right now you think, no, it, it can't be. I'm so trapped. It's too difficult. I can't make it. Of course you can. He can deliver you. What you need to learn to do, what you are responsible for choosing to do, is to look at that man between through new eyes. That's the calling. To see the foes that stand between you and God's promises in a different way than you habitually do. Not with eyes that measure your weakness against their strength, but with eyes that trust the God who called me is faithful and he'll move me. We need to do this all together as a church because I guarantee there are gonna be forces that are gonna rise up and make us afraid and make us think, well, we can't do it. We can't move forward. We don't have what it takes. And we can look at those barriers with ordinary sight, ordinary vision, unspiritually awakened eyes. And then, just like everybody on that hillside, we'll cower in fear. Or, like David, we can say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's standing between us and God's promises? We probably won't say it like that, but you get the point. Right now, God is inviting you to look through different eyes. It's up to you whether you do that or not. Ask him. If you can't, say, God, give me Vision. You can say, be thou my vision. You know that song that we sing? You can make that a prayer. You can go to Ephesians chapter one and pray the prayer there again, that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened to see the hope to which he is calling me. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, the people that he's all calling together? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who will believe? Do that. When David shows this courage to Saul, Saul says this. It's interesting. It's not going to come up here, but listen to what Saul says. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. I think that's like a polite religious way of saying good luck. (laughs) Before he goes to the battle, Saul takes off his armor, his helmet, his his mail, his sword, and he says, look, you better put this on. And David dresses up in it. Remember, Saul's the biggest guy in Israel. David's just a kid. It's clunky and heavy and big. And and David stands there, and then he looks at Saul, who officially is still the king. He doesn't know that David is. And he looks at him, and he says, it doesn't fit. I can barely walk, and I don't need it anyway. And then he takes off the armor. If the Spirit of God inspires you this morning to step forward in faith, looking at whatever's holding you back with new eyes, 
This may seem alarming, I'll say it. I think there are spiritual powers and forces at work in our world that are gonna wanna say to you, hey, you can't do it. You need some armor. You need to be someone you're not. You need to be a warrior if you're gonna face this guy. That's what happened. Saul tried to make David the shepherd into David the warrior, but he's not a warrior, he's a shepherd. And all God wants is for you to trust him, to to be able to say, "I, I don't need to be somebody that I'm not. I just need to be me. You don't need to measure your own skills or abilities or faith or certainty or uh, self-control or all of the ways you might compare yourself to other people who are disciples. You don't need to have what they have to be who God made you to be. And so David says, don't try to make me wear your armor. I'll go like this. And he goes into the battle as David the shepherd. Here, this is verse 40. Then... He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, that's the creek bed, and he put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. He exchanges sword for shepherd's staff because that's what he's used to. He puts on his fanny pack. I think that's funny. And then he, (laughs) he gets stones and he puts them in there because this is who he is. He gets the sling that he's always worked with. Uh, One way for you to awaken to God's empowering presence is to take an honest assessment of what God has already put in your hands. He doesn't have to get anything new. He just has to use what he's always been using. Are you good at numbers? Are you good with people? Are you good with kids or animals or whatever it is? What are you good with? Uh, That's the equipment that God has put into your hands and all you need to do is, like David, trust him and come down from the mountain. And that's what happens. Goliath is down there and David walks down the hill. And now, in the eyes of absolutely everybody who's watching, it seems like a joke. Because there's this beast of a man and this boy, unarmed apparently, just strolling down into the valley. Can you imagine that? Goliath thinks, why are you mocking me? He looks at him, what am I, a dog that you've come out against me with a stick? That's all he can see is his shepherd's staff. And then he engages in some grade A ancient smack talk. I'm going to feed you to the birds, you kid, you boy. And then David responds in kind. No, I will feed you to the birds. You don't know what you're up against. And again, through ordinary eyes, it looks like certain defeat for this kid. But through eyes of faith, which David has, and which you, my friends, are also invited to have, it looks like it's impossible for them to lose because God's plan for his people, Israel, is to bless them and to give them a land and establish them forever and through their lineage to raise up a Messiah, a son of David, who will also be born in Bethlehem, who will bless the nations, and that includes all of us. There's nothing that can stop it. And David reaches into his pouch and he takes out a stone and he puts it in the sling and he swings it and he swings it and he lets it fly. And it hits the giant right in the forehead, right below the helmet. And the man falls flat on his face. And David walks over and grabs his sword and he finishes the job. And now everybody gathered can see. They can all see that the power is God's. 
Here, he said it in, in what David said to Goliath before taking him out. He tells him what's going to happen when I defeat you. This is verse 47. All this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. That's David's way of saying nothing can stand in the way of God, and it doesn't require sword and spear or bow or might. All it requires is trust because the battle belongs to him. Whatever battle has come to your mind this morning that stands between you and the purposes of the Lord for you or between us as a church and the purposes that God has for us as a church, whatever that is, the battle belongs to the Lord. Right now, let it come into your mind and you're looking at how am I gonna do this? Listen, the battle belongs to the Lord. Would you say that in your heart? The battle belongs to the Lord. I have my own battles, I do. All of us will. Again and again, I'll have to set myself into God's hands and then I can say it and you can say it too. The battle belongs to the Lord. The question will be, how will you look at the man in between? Look, would you look like David looked? That's the, the invitation for you to see with the eyes that you see in David here. You are invited to do that. Entrust yourself into the hands of the Lord and then you can believe like him and be confident like him and you will see what God does. Amen? Amen. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. God, we thank you so very much for your word and for the way that you speak to us uniquely through your scriptures. We thank you for the narratives of David and the people of Israel together and for how they show us what it looks like to look at challenges through new eyes. In this room, there are many who are facing impediments to forward movement in faith. There is some challenge there that keeps us from trusting you and going forward. Would you please open the eyes of our hearts and give us the kind of spiritual illumination that will allow us to see those foes differently so that like David, we can be confident and secure and trust and move forward and, and so through us, you would shine a light into this world that says God is capable. The battle belongs to him, not, not to us, not to sword or, or spear, but to you. Protect us from being more afraid than we need to be of the things that appear to menace us in these days and remind us that because we are in your hands, there is nothing that is out of hand. Where we are grieving and broken, give us comfort. Where we are timid and scared, give us courage. Where we are grief-stricken over our own guilt, assure us of your mercy and empower us to be your people again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.